This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. Hello? Hey, Matt. It's Adam Cohen. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. You? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. What? Where are you right now? I, I heard you're busy. I heard you have an avalanche of work. Yes, which yes. Is, uh, which is funny because I'm sitting in a snowstorm at Big White oh, uh, no. halfway through a day of skiing. Not, not too bad. Right at the Gem Lake Express chair. Anyone locked in a bathroom? <laughs> what? Uh, what's, there's what? been, there's been, no, no, I, I've been keeping a diary of potential stories. Nothing, yeah. nothing really exciting. Nothing exciting, but, uh, eh? I'm sure we still got two days though, so yeah. uh, yeah. I'll have something for next week. What, uh, so where, you're, you're out skiing, you're on uh, spring break with your family. Sounds enjoyable. Yeah, just a quick four days here in Big White and then back to the grind. So, uh, but no, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. Good, good conditions. Skiing. Takes your mind off of everything, that's for sure. Excellent, excellent. Well, hey, you're missing out. We, yeah, what's what's going on with the podcast? Yeah, we had a great interview today. We had uh, Pillar to Post Home Inspectors, Wayne DeYoung. And uh, what a great guy. Tons of information on everything. Yeah, he's a fantastic inspector. He is, he is. And you know what? He's giving kind of the typical lifespans of a variety of different systems in a building or in a house. Um, and the nice thing, too, is we talk about baseline cost for renovations, which is something that we've had that question, you know, several times, uh, people it, writing. It comes in. up all the time, right? When people are, are wondering how much is it going to cost for a kitchen? How much is it going to cost for a, for a bathroom? So that's, that's fantastic information. For sounds sure. Like a, sounds like a good interview. No, it is for sure. And also, we just wanted to say quickly before we cut to our interview with Wayne, 
Um, thank you so much to everybody that wrote in and really enjoyed our in, our last interview with Francis Bula. Such a great episode, and uh, yeah, we're glad that everybody really enjoyed it. And um, let's cut to our interview with Wayne. Awesome. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so I'm here with Wayne Deong from Pillar to Post Home Inspectors. How are you doing, Wayne? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. So maybe just to, to start off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a home inspector in Vancouver. I've been doing it for uh, about 20 years. Actually, it is our 20th anniversary this year. We own uh, Pillar to Post Home Inspectors in Vancouver. Congratulations. So thank you. Yeah, big milestone date for sure. So uh, I have an engineering background. Uh, I was uh, graduated as a chemical engineer and worked in the environmental field for uh, about 10 years. And that's where I got into sort of auditing processes and buildings. And that's what we do as part of a home inspection. So. Oh, wow. Great. So we wanted to have you on today. We've got a couple questions for you, um, mostly surrounding inspections and lifespans of homes and um, uh, systems in condos. Mm-hmm. Maybe first we'll start with a typical lifespan of a couple major items. So maybe to begin with a roof. Okay. Um, you know, and just with all these things, lifespan is going to going to vary a little bit. So right. it depends on the conditions and how well they're installed. But um, 20 to 25 years is common for a lot of equipment, and, and that works really well for, for roofing. We typically, in our area, get about 20, 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. Okay, good. And how about windows? Well, windows are one of those things. I, I was in a century house yesterday, and it still had the original windows. So um, they they worked. They probably haven't worked well in about 50 years, so they can last a long time. But when they're building windows, they typically expect to get about 35 to 50 years out of them. If wow. they've done that, it's done their done their service life. So, so do, do you typically get more out of a, a double-glazed window, or, or would it be a single pane maybe last longer? Or is a there sing, a yeah, a single pane would would last longer because it's not as complex, right? So you get the double panes, you've, you've got this seal in there and that seal can break down. And so the window can still function, but it gets foggy. And, right. you know, for most people, the primary function of a window is to look out, not to keep the, the weather out. Right, <laughs> right, right. right. So. And a single pane is, is just letting all the heat out, I guess. Yeah. How about electrical? Yeah, electrical is one of those things that often it will last as long as the house. So it really comes down to... When people do major changes in a house, they tend to change out the electrical because they're changing how they use the house. So there are systems um, like knob and tube wiring, aluminum wiring that have issues with safety. Um, But the biggest issue with electrical is really what people or things do to it after after installation. So uh, altering it in an unsafe way, if you get um, animals in the house, like rodents and that, they can chew the wires and that sort of thing. But the wiring itself doesn't really wear out if it's if it's properly sized and used so so do you see you you inspect a lot of homes in vancouver you see a lot of people that that mess around with the electrical yeah it's funny it's one of the systems that you probably shouldn't work with but it's one of the ones that that people um they're either very afraid of it or they think this is pretty easy it's just i'll pull out the old switch and put a new one in and then they get halfway through and forget what they were doing and and right yeah we see a lot of sort of um, homeowner modifications on the electrical side. So just because you watch the YouTube video, don't uh, don't try and redo your electrical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about uh, plumbing? Um, yeah, plumbing, and I think you're really probably talking about water pipes in yep. this case. So because um, 
in our area, our water is is pretty aggressive on copper pipes. So in a in a home, we'll get about fifty years out of the copper pipes. Um, there's certain areas of the country that um, have harder water in parts of Ontario where that piping can last a very very long time. So, um, so but it's, in homes, it's typically about uh, fifty years. In condominiums, because you tend to be often they're recirculating the hot water around the building, and that's more aggressive on the piping. We sort of see in about twenty-five years the hot water pipes wear out. Twenty to thirty years is the range, but twenty-five is a common. And then you start getting the pinhole leaks that everybody reads about in the strata documents. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, the water is kind of acidic. It's got some sediment in it that wears away that piping, and you get these these thin areas and as they describe as pinholes. Yeah. So in addition to that, so we we've seen kind of this move toward plastic piping. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, I was speaking to someone the other day, they were saying there might be a new move back to copper plumbing. Have you heard anything about that? I haven't. There are those holdouts that, that think plastic's cheap, metal's right. much better and, and that sort of thing. But, um, plastic is just, it's cheaper to purchase. It's easier to install. There's more things you can do with it. You get better flow characteristics out of it. So I haven't, I haven't heard that, um, I haven't really asked anybody about it, but I haven't heard that just because everything you see going in um, is plastic. So, sort of for the main, you know, some of the big larger lines have to be copper just because um, plastic isn't strong enough. So. Right, right. Okay. And so moving on, we, we get this question a lot, um, especially from some of our listeners have written in about it. Uh, talking about kind of baseline costs for renovations in their homes. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, they'll buy a condo that needs a facelift or they'll buy a house that needs quite an extensive renovation. Can we talk about, it? are there some figures that we can use to kind of get an idea of, of how much it would cost to do that kitchen rental or that bathroom rental, et cetera, maybe starting with like a kitchen. Is there a typical baseline cost? Um, there is, um, but I guess something to be, always aware of is it really comes down to what kind of materials you're going to put in, right? Tile can be a dollar or right. it can be 10 times that kind of thing. So it is possible to do a kitchen renovation for say $25,000, but you have to be on top of it. You have to control what you're doing and, and what materials you're putting in there. It's far more common to spend fifty, sixty thousand dollars on a, on a kitchen. So, uh, I went over that with a friend of mine once. I said he was looking at doing a kitchen reno, and I said, you know, that could be fifty, sixty thousand. He says, I was thinking of spending a hundred just on my appliances. So you do have that <laughs> variability, but in terms of baseline, that's what you're kind of. You know, it can be done for twenty five thousand, right. um, but it generally costs a bit more than that. So. Okay, so as long as you're avoiding the wolf range and the uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> marble countertops and everything else, um, how about a bathroom? Um, again, there's always a range with these things, um, but you can do a bathroom for uh, $2,500 very simply, um, but they can cost over $10,000. That common uh, range is five to $7,000 is what we, what we see commonly. Five to okay. seven yeah. on a bathroom. Okay. Um, and then a lot of people come in if there's carpet. One of the things we tell our clients is it's really easy to change out flooring. If you don't like the carpet or if you don't like the flooring that's in a, in a condo unit or in a house, um, that's one of the first things, painting the place and changing the flooring that can totally transform the way a place looks. Mm-hmm. What what are com- some kind of, where would you start for trying to understand what it would cost to install new flooring? Um, well, I think you start with doing some shopping to see what materials you want to have. But um, one of the things that we provide as part of our home inspection is that we give a cost estimating guide and we, we have, and that's available on our website as well. Great. Um, but that gives sort of ballpark ranges. But, you know, if you're looking at, 
um, carpet is going to be less expensive than tiles. But um, so it can be anywhere from say four dollars per square foot. We tend to do this by by area um, to over over twenty. The common range is is going to be say six to eleven dollars a square foot. So that would um, be for materials installed. Yeah, materials installed. One of the things to be aware of though is what sort of preparation is going to be needed on the floor so if you're going into a condominium they have restrictions on certain types of flooring that you can put in so that you might need to do um, preparation put in certain underlay if the floors are uneven you'll need to prepare that floor properly whereas carpet is a lot more forgiving for uneven floors and noise and that sort of thing so that could affect that that overall cost for sure do you see that when you're doing inspections a lot of um, flooring that hasn't been leveled properly where you see kind of dead spots in the in the floor throughout. Yeah, you you walk around and you can sort of feel the floor bend underneath you. I kind of right. uh, liken it to being at the Commodore Ballrooms sometimes a little bit. You got the <laughs> <laughs> so it can be a positive <laughs> if you like. But but yeah, it's because people they get into the job don't realize that that the floor is uneven and and they're on a timeline so they just finish with the install kind of thing. And you know a lot of these floorings that are out there, if you think of them, they're really like rigid carpeting. So the carpet. It, you know, the carpet follows those contours, and then you put something in that's a little stiffer, and if you don't get rid of the, the valleys and the dips, then you notice them a lot more. It doesn't necessarily mean that the floor isn't going to function for you. It's just maybe a little bit more noticeable. Right. So if, you, so if you're in an old house, say, in East Vancouver, and the floors seem to be unlevel, maybe you need to account for some extra compound materials or, or for leveling. Yeah, for sure. And depending on what floor of the house you're on, if it's an upper floor, maybe you can't, the house um, won't be able to handle the weight of the leveling compound. So then maybe that may restrict the type of flooring that you'll put in. You're going to have to live with some floors that are out of level a little bit and maybe go with a, uh, a flooring that's that can handle that a little bit better and will be a bit more comfortable. So. Right. Well, that explains a lot of houses in yeah. East Vancouver. <laughs> um, okay, so... Moving on to um, people often want to redo the electrical, especially if they're in a turn-of-the-century home. Any any estimates on costs of redoing electrical? Yeah, and this this is a tough one. So there's if we break it down into two components, there's there's sort of the electrical service, and this is what really brings the electrical or the hydro to your house, and that's how much electricity comes into your house. And that's um, to do a service upgrade. Commonly now, you wouldn't want to have less than 100 amp service in a in a house. It's harder to get insurance on the house with that. Commonly now, more and more people are putting in 200 amp electrical service but so if you wanted to upgrade say with a new panel to a 100 amp electrical service you're looking at about fifteen hundred dollars to go to a 200 amp electrical service with a new panel probably about twenty five hundred dollars so those are typical and then when you get into the house um, it really depends on what kind of access you have Uh, you can imagine being in a house that's got an unfinished basement all the ceiling is open um, and you want to run new wiring to the main level it's pretty easy to run that stuff through if everything is finished and now you're cutting holes and fishing wires through and then you get stuck, you could spend three, four hours and end up right back where you started kind of thing. So right. most of that um, electricians won't quote on. They'll give you an hourly rate and say it's going to cost what it's going to cost. So that can get expensive quickly if you if you don't control the, the effort and the costs. And, um, and then things like if you have really old wiring, knob and tube wiring, um, again, it depends on access, a one story house with an unfinished basement and unfinished attic, you know, may cost you, I don't know, five to 8,000. If everything is finished above and below, you could easily double that cost, right? So, right. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, what's the downside of having low ampage, like lower than a hundred? Um, 
Well, it's just it limits what you can do in the house. If you um, if you look at all the things that that we do, we tend to uh, everybody's on different electronic devices. Um, you're you're cooking while you're maybe doing laundry and and those sorts of things. So you just don't have enough power coming to your house so that limits the way that you can use your house. And then people tend you're it's like having a car that can go. I don't know, 130 kilometers an hour, and you drive it there all the time, it's just going to wear the system. (laughs) You know, it's okay to go up that high maybe occasionally if you have to for a brief moment. But running a system at or near capacity, which happens with the smaller um, services, um, is just inherently um, more problematic. I used to live in an old rental building where if we were blow drying our hair and, you know, you had the microwave off, it would trip the the breaker and then we'd have to call the maintenance man. And it was just a vicious cycle. Almost every morning we'd trip a breaker. So I'm yeah. well familiar with that. Yeah. And then the older buildings with the fuses, that's when they just put a bigger fuse in. Right. right. <laughs> and then that can become insane. Or a penny. Right. Absolutely. Um Okay, so kind of moving on, you mentioned knob and tube, and I kind of want to come back. Obviously, knob and tube is a big topic of conversation mm-hmm. um, everywhere in Canada. Um, it can pose a problem with insurance. Uh, some people argue it's it's not very safe wiring. It can be a fire hazard. Um, what are your thoughts? Is the discovery of knob and tube a deal breaker in your mind as the inspector? I don't think it should be. Um, it, it, Part of it's going to depend on the expectations or the perspective of, of our client or the person looking at the house. But knob and tube isn't inherently unsafe. It's a it's an older system. If you think about when it was put in, for the most part, you were using lamps and simple products. So you were either using power or you weren't. But now with uh, more complicated electronics in the house, more demand on, on the system, um, it may not serve the function that you want it to and that can make it unsafe but what tends to be the um, why insurance companies see it as a higher risk because it's older anything older is closer to potentially wearing out but also there's a greater chance that somebody has done something to it or it's been affected or it, it can deteriorate the insulation over time so it really it's not just whether it's knob and tube or not it's what's the condition of that how has it been altered over time and what are you using it for if you're going to hook up a home theater system and the room you want to put it in is all knob and tube wiring, you're probably going to want to upgrade that wiring because it wasn't designed to, to handle that kind of kind of use. If you're just going, if it's a reading room and you've got some lamps in there, that's what it was designed to, to do. So Right. And so a lot of people always ask the inspector the question, is there any knob and tube in the house at all? Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there any way without opening walls that you guys can ever fully answer that question? No, not unless you've got the only way would be some letter from the person who changed it all out telling you that, it, that it's right. gone. We can test and say we're not seeing any evidence of it, um, but there's times that a switch or a receptacle uh, can look brand new, and it is brand new, but if you were to pull that apart, you'd still get old wiring in behind there. So we have testers to test receptacles to see whether we have a ground or not, and that's one indication that it might not have been upgraded and that sort of thing. So there's there's telltale signs, but no way to say 100% whether it's it's all been removed unless the house has been uh, uh, totally emptied and you've got physical proof of it. So. Okay. Mm. So Wayne, in addition to knob and tube, we're constantly hearing the word asbestos. People should be concerned about asbestos if they're buying in an older condo building or if they're buying an older home. Um, is asbestos as big of a problem as it's, uh, as it's rumored to be? Yeah, and I, I think the key there is people should be aware 
of asbestos for sure. Um, you know, I'm not a medical expert and I don't uh, claim to be by any means. So uh, people should do their research on it. And the government right now has an awareness program out there. They're really trying to make sure that people are, are aware of it, that it's in the home. But it really comes down to what are you doing in the home? If asbestos is in the material that it's designed to be in, it's in a solid form. It's not what we call friable, which means that it has the potential to become airborne. It it doesn't have a big health impact on people. Um, but if you have a home that has asbestos in it and then you're going to do renovations or you have a water leak and now you have to do repairs and renovations and that sort of thing, then proper precautions need to be taken and there could be extra expense uh, associated with that that work. So people need to be aware of it. But if, say, in, in the terms of owning an older home or purchasing an older home, most of them are going to have these things like asbestos, lead-based paint, these materials that we wouldn't put in the homes today but people have lived in those homes quite well for for many many years so again it comes down to when you're going to do work or or create that exposure to asbestos and it becomes exposed when it gets damaged or you're you're moving it around then that's that's a bigger issue i think so and you want to take proper precautions and be safe with it so okay so where are some of the common places you see asbestos while you're doing home inspections um so just to clarify we always talk about potentially asbestos-containing materials oh, okay. because until you take a sample and send it to the lab, you don't know that there's asbestos there or not. They have to analyze for that. But um, it can be in so many parts of the home, but common ones, uh, homes that have ducting in them, that white papery duct tape that you see on there, right. most of the time contains asbestos. So it's very common. A lot of the old plasters, um, the muds, um, insulation around hot water heating pipes, some of the old roofing felts. So it, it can be in a lot of areas of the home, but old flooring. The common things that people tend to affect a little bit is that, that duct tape if you want to do renovations or it's uh, it's loose and people could touch it. Flooring, you want to remove, do renovations in the house and those sorts of things. So those are the things that we commonly come across. The other one that is um, sort of more easily made airborne would be vermiculite. Uh, which is a loose insulation that is um, quite often put in the attics. It was put in the houses in the, in the 70s. And about 70% of that used in North America did contain some asbestos. So you don't know again until you analyze the, and then sample and uh, analyze the vermiculite whether it contains asbestos or not. But you need to, to be aware of that. And it can become airborne quite, quite easily. Um, and a common example would be somebody, a lot of people want to put in recessed lighting into the ceilings if you're, cutting up into the ceiling and there's this insulation ab- above it that could come into your home and then there's a definite chance for exposure there so right um so it's in a lot of places but in in for the most part it's in solid forms and, and it shouldn't affect you on a daily basis so. okay how about uh we we get this question a lot especially if there's been water damage to a unit uh, this potential for mold mm-hmm. how about mold is it is it a major problem that you see kind of on a regular basis yeah, we see mold everywhere. I don't know if it's a if it's a problem. It's definitely there's a heightened awareness to mold. Mold is it's it's always been around. The earth wouldn't function if we didn't have molds because right. they break down all that material and and that sort of thing. It's um, it's just when a particular species because of a problem gets out of out of whack or somebody has a heightened sensitivity to it. Um, I often use the analogy to um, mold and peanut butter. Like people say, well, what's an unsafe level of of mold and Sometimes some people can eat peanut butter morning, noon, and night every day and never have a problem. And somebody else can come into a room that there was peanut butter two weeks ago, and and they have an allergic reaction. And mold is like that as well. So, what's somebody could be perfectly healthy in a home, and somebody else moves in there, and there's uh, and they're not as healthy. So, um, but 
over the years, when we talk about uh, energy efficiency and we've tightened up homes, um, there's less sort of natural circulation of air. And sometimes you can get a buildup of these contaminants. And that's why we, we see a lot more people having these sort of sick house syndrome or uh, um, health-related issues. So uh, a lot of the changes in the most recent building codes are around ventilation and changing over the stale air to cut down on on the buildup of contaminants and and mold is just one of those contaminants there's dust there's organic compounds all kinds of things so um we do have some issues with mold our climate we're going to have it for sure but um it i don't see that the majority of the homes have a mold problem in, in my experience so. right okay so kind of moving back to we we spoke a little bit about plumbing for condo owners, often you see a condo unit will have its own, it'll have a central boiler system. Mm-hmm. So everyone's operating off the same boiler system or it'll have each unit will have an individual hot water tank. Do you see any positives or negatives with either or? Is it better to have a central boiler system? In in some ways, yeah. I always use the saying uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other kind of right. thing. So, um, you know, there's... Having a central um, boiler system, um, it is a bit harder on the hot water pipes because you are recirculating this hot water around the building all the time. Um, but the, some pros are that your the cost for operating that is part of your maintenance fee. If if there is leaks, you don't have these hot water tanks all over the building, so it leaks in. in if, the, if something breaks down, it's one unit, and it's usually in a mechanical room. Um, those sorts of things. But if you have the hot water heater in your unit. Um, the piping will last longer in the building because you're not recirculating that hot water around. You have that cost for yourself if you have to replace it, but you can control that a little bit more. So it's just a different way of doing it. I think you need to know uh, the pros and cons of uh, just knowing how your building operates and then just uh, maintain it accordingly. So I personally don't think that the one is better or worse than the other. So they're just different. Right. And if somebody had to replace a hot water tank, is that an expensive thing to do? Uh, no, they're about a thousand dollars. So about a thousand um, bucks. It hurts when you don't have the thousand dollars, I guess. But right. uh, in the overall, you know, if, if they typically last about ten years, you know, hundred dollars a year, it's not uh, it's not that big of an expense. So. Right. So this is a selfish question, but we're in a house where we're in an old house that literally there's air flowing through the walls. And uh, <laughs> what is the easiest way and least expensive way to upgrade an older home to make it energy efficient? Yeah. Um, the easiest way, we talk about sealing first and then insulating. So if whatever you can do to stop those drafts, so weather stripping around doors, um, you can put, uh, you know, expanded foam insulation in, into some of the bigger gaps and that sort of thing. A lot of people think about putting new, brand new windows in, um, you know, insulating the, the whole house, but it's very difficult to insulate a house unless it's part of a major renovation. You can maybe put it in the attic or in an unfinished basement, but stopping those drafts, um, it's very inexpensive. Even you've got, you know, older single pane windows here, lots of air around them. There's those films that you can buy to put on the inside of the window in the in the winter just to, to cut down on that heat loss actually through the glass and around the windows. So whatever you can do, if you think about you're heating that air inside your house and then pumping it outside, it, it's not a good idea. It's not right. very energy efficient. A lot of old houses have fireplaces. People just leave the flues open even if they're not using the fireplace. There's a lot of air that goes up through there. And even... Um, an energy efficient furnace or hot water heater. The, what makes them energy efficient is that you're not, when they're off, they're not sort of, uh, there isn't hot air escaping through the, the exhausts and that sort of thing. So just try and reduce that air movement 
a little bit control. You want to, we just finished talking about having proper ventilation in the house. So you want to make sure you're ventilated for, from a health perspective, but from energy, you want to control that. So, um, sailing right. around doors, windows and all that sort of thing. So. Okay. So I should put more newspapers in my walls for insulation. Hey. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Only as part of your major. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and maybe just, uh, as a, as a final question, we get this question all the time. How much should homeowners be budgeting for kind of ongoing maintenance? I mean, home ownership, it's, it's expensive. Yeah. Um, what should be a typical budget for a homeowner? Uh, more than what most people are putting aside right now, <laughs> for, first of all. But there's this uh, rule that we use. It's the 1% rule that you should be planning on spending about 1% of the value of your home on maintenance on an annual basis. So, And again, that averages out. You're not going to spend that each and every year. But if you take in the big ticket items and, and just the normal maintenance stuff that you need to do. Um, and I hear back in our real estate market with our uh, inflated pricing that that rule may not apply. And it may be a little bit conservative, but you're going to be safe with that for sure. But one of the facts that we come across is if you're in an area of higher priced real estate, the tradespeople doing the work have to live in that area. So they tend to charge more as well. There tends to be uh, higher end components and materials in there. So it, we do see that it costs more to maintain a home in a, say, a pricier area than it does in a, in a less price, even the, the identical home, right? They, they just, it, it does bear out that way. So that 1% rule, um, I think, you know, maybe it's three quarters to 1% in this, in this area, but, um, that number surprises a lot of people. And I think if people could budget closer to that number, they'd uh, be way better off. So, right. Excellent. Okay, Wayne. So just quickly before we uh, start to wrap it up here, we have this segment called the five wire. Will you hang around for that? Sure. Sure. Okay. So uh, favorite area of Vancouver, um, Douglas park, Douglas Park. I live there. Okay. All right. That's a good answer. Um, favorite restaurant or bar? Uh, favorite restaurant is You and I Thai. It's on Canby Street. Oh, nice. We haven't had a Thai food answer yet. Um, where do you bring someone from out of town? Um, first place. First place we take tend to take, there's a, um, a hike over in Deep Cove. I forget the name of the, the rock. Um, I think it's got everything that the West Coast can offer. It's a, it's not a super hard hike, but it's got great scenery. So that's where we try and take everybody. Perfect. Uh, downtown Penthouse or West Side Mansion? Um, sad to say, West Side Mansion. West Side Mansion. <laughs> Everybody's always sad. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Star Trek. Great. So Wayne, how can people reach uh, Pillar to Post? Um. Well, you can get a, uh, take a look at our website. Some of the, that cost guide that I referred to is on our website, which is um, www.pillartopost-vancouver.com. Um, um, if you want my phone number, yeah, 604-250-9263. Um, we've got uh, a number of licensed inspectors uh, available to serve you. And, and I encourage people, even if they're just in the home ownership, they own their home or they're in the cycle of, um, trying to buy, um, go to our website to get information. We don't mind calls, uh, when people are thinking about, um, doing things in their home. Um, we think that you should be reviewing your home more than when you're just buying or selling. Um, but we're happy to, to provide as much information as, as we can. Uh, so we've got, um, a cost guide that I referred to that, um, and that's on, on our website. We're happy to give copies of that to people. We've got information series sheets that, uh, um, that, 
talk about knob and tube wiring and aluminum wiring and round fault receptacles and all kinds of different things. Right. So um, we're there to provide that information so that uh, uh, your whole home ownership cycle is a pleasant one. So. Excellent. And I, I really need to urge listeners to go and check out the Residential Construction and Remodeling Estimates Guide, uh, which is really, really thorough and uh, it's a great resource. So thanks a lot for coming on the show, yeah. and uh, we really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me in. It was great. So there you have it, folks. Adam's discussion with Wayne DeYoung, a building inspector with Pillar to Post here in the Lower Mainland. Matt, are you in a wind tunnel? It's, it's, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hearing sorry, a lot of wind. My hands are getting cold, man. My hands are getting cold. All right. Okay. Well, hey, we, we won't take up. This will be a quick outro but you know we want to give wayne uh, the justice he deserves great building yeah. inspector phenomenal interview so much information about you know just baseline costs to do uh renovations also the typical lifespans of all the building systems really appreciated his time and uh taking time out of his busy schedule to come on and and explain that to us yeah and, and i know that uh i haven't heard the interview yet but i, I you mentioned that wayne uh brought up the one percent rule which I've heard him talk about before. Are you talking about how he wants to be in a West Side mansion over a uh, downtown <laughs> Pentos? <laughs> That's the one. Or, no, no, no. Oh, right. All the time. The 1% operating budget. You should have the 1%. I, okay, I got you. Yeah. One per, and that's actually a really good point that we should, we should highlight again. And one of the biggest takeaways from the interview is make sure that you have a contingency set aside for home ownership because it's expensive. I mean, if you're in a house... It only takes, uh, you know, redoing the roof or, or some electrical problems. And, the, you know, that's that money gone right there. So, and if you're in a condo, yeah. do it the same in case there's, um, you know, ongoing maintenance on the interior of your house or if there's a, a levy that comes up in the building. So good sound advice. Yeah, you always want to be planning ahead. There's there's no question about that. So it's a, it's a useful, it's a useful way to frame it. So Matt, you're back on Friday. And when you're back on Friday, how can people reach you? Yeah, well, no, hey, give me a call. I'm, uh, I'm kind of, uh, I'm sitting at the bottom of a chairlift uh, on my phone right now. So seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. Or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four or Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. And Braden, how can and Braden? people get a hold of you? Info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. Or Braden at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com. Yeah, that's that's a thing now too. Yeah. 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 Anyways, thanks, info. Um, and and uh, and we should say as well, check us out at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast dot com, our our site with the wealth of resources, the back catalog, the V Rep Live Wire, our, our newsletter. Um, you'll definitely want to uh, you'll you want to head over there for sure. So Okay, Matt, get back to uh, here, go go pull a daffy for us. <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> That's a thing. Okay, take I've care, guys. Done it. I, I'm on it. So, okay, guys, we'll talk to you later. I, I got to get back to it here. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 